All right, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 1. And then we also have the teaching notes available. If you wanted to grab those on your way in, on the website as well. Psalm 1. Uh, the title for the message this morning is Continuous Delight in God's Word. Continually delighting in the Word of God. I'm going to read a few of the verses here from Psalm 1. Beginning in verse one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither Whatever he does shall prosper, but the ungodly are not so. But they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Holy Spirit, we love you, and we love your ministry. We love the way in which you perfectly lead and direct our lives, the power of your presence. Lord, we ask that your word would gain entrance and access into our spirit this morning. We ask you that the word of God would dwell within us richly, that we would be rich in the things of God and the things of the spirit, in revelation of the cross, walking in humility in these days. Lord, we love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I mentioned, the title for this morning is Continuous Delight in God's Word. And what's interesting about the subject of delight, which we'll get into a little bit more here in a few moments, is that whatever you delight in is what you will turn to. It's one of the most powerful features of delight, of, of human pleasure, of human experience. When the chips are down, we turn to the things that we most delight in. How true is that of our lives? And what would happen to a spiritual family or a city if the believers in that region, when the pressure increased, they found their delight in the word of God, in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, in the place of intimacy and worship of God. That's what Psalm 1 calls us to. Psalm 1 calls us to find our delight in the word of God and that it would be chief above all the other delights that are available to us in this age. That God would have a people that are established in the delight of God, having great pleasure and joy and satisfaction in the very words of God. How many times throughout the Gospels do we see as Jesus is preaching and giving instruction and teaching, it says that the crowds marveled at his gracious words. There's something about the words of God that move us more than other things. 
There's something about the words of God, the, the author, the, the creator that formed us, that forged us, that knit us together in our mother's womb, that when the creator speaks, something resonates within the creature. That's us. Interestingly, yet not surprisingly, Psalm 1 comes before Psalm 2. And they're joined together. They're meant to be understood, actually, in light of one another. Now, Psalm 2, we've talked about many times in our recent season here. Psalm 2 emphasizes the escalating rage. And the question is posed at the beginning of Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? There's an increase of rage within the culture. It's anger. It's angst. I love what... Sister Tracy Bickle said last week during her message, she said that anger is likely the most prominent emotion that grips the human heart. It's probably the most popular emotion that people have, but here's how we dress it up, and I love that she said this. She said that we use different words besides anger, besides rage. We say we're frustrated. We say we're a little bit annoyed, we're irritated, we're bugged. And as she began to say that, even last week, I began to kind of do like a self like inventory. Okay, like what's going on here, Isaac? Let's get down in here. And I began to realize how much frustration, irritation, annoyance that I wrestle through in my own soul day to day. I mean, hour to hour. The smallest things can set us off into just this frustration. And, and I love what Tracy said. She said, frustration is the Christian word for anger. There is anger that is brewing within the human heart, within the prevailing culture, and it's starting to bubble up more and more and more to the surface until Psalm 2 that pushes us to the forward, it gives us insight into that generation of the Lord's return. Psalm 2 begins to tell us that the whole, the whole earth, the kings, the leaders, the cultural leaders, they are going to be gripped in a spirit of anger and rage against God in that very hour. Psalm 1, on the other hand, just before that, it is the antidote to the rage of the human heart. Rather than raging about the loss of control of our circumstances, about what other people are doing. No, Psalm 1 calls us to the internal life, to prioritize it, and to find our life in God, regardless of the raging storm that is happening around us. Psalm 1 instructs us where to plant the seed of our life. What is the thing that you can absolutely Count on. What is the thing that will be absolutely unshakable? What is the thing that will be untouched? It is the word of God. Scripture tells us that not one thing will pass away from his word before it's fulfilled. Scripture tells us that not one word from the word of God, from the mouth of God, will return void. Every word will hit its mark. Every word will plant its seed. Every word will come to pass that God says. And the Psalm 1 man, the godly man, the humble man says, I am going to plant myself in the word of God. 
I'm going to plant my life. I am going to make it absolutely center. I'm not gonna waver from it. I'm gonna come back to it again and again and again. And I believe in this hour, as we're looking out at the cultural landscape and the increasing rage, the increasing hostility, the increasing pressures that God would raise up a Psalm 1 people in a Psalm 2 hour. David would pray in Psalm 12, a plea to the Lord, help Lord, for the godly man ceases. The faithful are disappearing from the earth. When we look out across the leaders of culture, the leaders of nations, we see fewer and fewer Psalm 1 men and women that are saying the word of God is the anchor and I'm going to find my delight in the word of God. We're gonna begin in, in verse two, looking at some of these phrases from the psalm. Look at Psalm one, verse two. This man finds his delight in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates upon it day and night. Now the word in the Hebrew for the law is the Torah. It's not just limited to the commandments of God. So he's not saying his delight is in the 10 commandments, though that, is, that would be true. So the idea isn't let's just get all the commandments of God, put them up everywhere and just kind of like act like they're awesome and you know that we all delight in them. Woohoo! The law of God, the Torah, is a broader term that means the instruction of God. And in the instruction of God, we see his ways, we see his commands, we see his joy, we see his delight, we see his emotions. It's the entirety of the word of God. And the wise man, this godly man in this passage is saying, I'm going to anchor myself and find my chiefest joy in the words that come from the mouth of God. One of the most frequent questions I've gotten over the years as a leader, as a pastor, is that people have asked, how do I hear the will of God for my life? And similar to that, how do I hear the voice of God? And it's a, it's a beautiful question because what child doesn't want to hear the voice of their father? And what Hebrews 1 tells us is that in times past that God spoke to us through the mouth of his servants, through the mouth of the prophets. But then it says this, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. The word of God is speaking the desires of the son, the will of the son, the commands of the son, the joy of the son. It is speaking the words of the son straight to your heart. You don't need an angel to show up at the foot of your bed to tell you the course and trajectory of your life. You don't need to have some prophetic dream where you go to wherever. Now, I like those things. I want those things to happen, and I believe those things are gonna happen more and more. But you don't fully 
need that in order to be loved and enjoyed by God. And the word of God says that he's spoken to us by his son. The very word of John 1 that was the word became flesh. He opened his mouth and he began to speak directly to you and directly to me. And so we can have confidence that when we open up the word of God, whether it's Leviticus or Corinthians or the gospel of Mark, it is Yahweh, it is the Son, it is the Spirit that is speaking the words that are necessary, the words that are pure, the words that are anchoring. They are speaking those words straight into your heart. And if you wanna turn up the volume of the Father's voice in your life and turn down the volume of the cultural radio, begin to give yourself more and more to the word of God. Begin to read it more. Begin to pray it more. Begin to sing it more because this is the hour to put down roots and become anchored before the storm really ratchets up. This passage is centralized around the promise that God's word will become the delight of the soul when his people establish it as central in their lives. God is after not just you knowing Bible verses, but he's after you having delight in your life. And I believe that the body of Christ does a huge disservice to new believers or, or young believers when we preach a gospel of abstinence only. We have to abstain from everything. And that's the entirety of the Christian message. It's a rule book of what you're supposed to abstain from. Don't do this, don't touch this, don't go there, don't do this, and then you're a Christian. And people, young people, the generation that's here in this room, that's listening on the web stream, that's beyond the walls of this building is sitting there going, I want to experience delight and I can't turn it off. What am I supposed to do? And so many are telling them, well, just abstain from everything and then you'll be happy. And that doesn't work. Because God hardwired you. He hardwired me. He made every creature with a capacity for joy and pleasure and delight. And if it's not redirected to something, it crushes the human heart and it causes our faith to become stagnant and boring and dull. And the Lord wants us to turn from the paths of the ungodly man and turn to the river of pleasure. See, he's a tree that's planted by the river of pleasure to begin to draw on the resource and the delight. How does he do it? By meditating on the words of God. We want to be a people that are consumed with the words of God. We love the words of God. We delight in the words of God. The word of God is the alternative to sin. God wants us to live lives that are filled with blessing and delight. He's not trying to make your life miserable on purpose as if that's more spiritual. 
He's not trying to crush your emotions, weigh you down so that you kind of have this holy scowl on your face and life is intentionally more hard because somehow that gets you more favor with God. That's not how God works. Psalm 16 verse 11 says that in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The pleasures that we're to experience in the word of God, by the spirit of God, on the inside where it touches our emotions, where it unlocks our soul, where it gives us fresh perspective and fresh life and a fresh song, beloved, that doesn't have to wait until the age to come. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. And we as a people need to reach towards that river. Turn up the volume of the word of God. Turn down the cultural narrative and begin to find our delight in the riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Psalm 119 verse 24 says that your testimonies are my delight and my counselors. My counselor is the word of God. That's my chief counselor. I want the word of God to fill my mind, to shape my emotions. I used to tell our teenagers back when I was running the youth ministry, I said, make this your goal, that when you look in the mirror, Bible verses come to your mind. All of us wake up in the morning. Some of you are still in process. And we go and we look in the mirror. What comes into your mind when you look in the mirror? Is it the failures of yesterday? Is it the pain of 10 years ago? Is it a superficial accusation? You're not pretty enough. You're not good enough. You're not successful enough. You're not holy enough. You're not spirit. What are the voices that Fill our mind when we look in the mirror, when we think about our own lives. Make it your goal to be so filled with the word of God that when you look in the mirror, you hear the voice of the bridegroom. You hear the voice of Christ who counted you worthy to come and, and suffer for you and pour out his life and pour out his blood for you. Don't accuse yourself. Don't get into a spirit of condemnation. Romans 8 tells us that there is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ Jesus, then your life is liberty and freedom and joy by the Holy Spirit. The enemy, his primary strategy is to deceive and to accuse. He wants to accuse you. He wants to accuse others through you. And we've gotta get out of this cultural soup narrative of who's right, who's wrong, who should be in prison, who shouldn't. Let's just lock everybody up. If everybody was right, we'd all be in prison. This group over here, they need to go to jail. And this group over here, they need to be punished for this. And da 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 Do you know what Jesus prayed to the Father on the cross for his enemies? He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's being tortured, tormented, killed. He's suffering someone else's 
penalty, the very wrath of God is beginning to bear it down upon him. And in that moment, he didn't say, lock them all up and throw away the key. He said, no, forgive them. Let your light break in. And in a cancel culture that is rife with hostility and accusation and betrayal, and everyone's trying to trap every other group to prove their moral point. Where is the voice that says, Father, forgive them. Let your blood wash away sins. Let souls come into the kingdom. Let people be converted by your mercy and by your love. Let a great revival spread across this nation. Not a great lockup. Let souls be saved. Is he not the God that wants none to perish? but all to come to the knowledge of the salvation through Christ. This Psalm 1 person is to find delight in the word of God. And when we delight in something, we prioritize it. The things that we delight in the most, we prioritize. We, we put them into our schedule. We treat them as, as holy and, and sacred. We don't want anyone to interrupt our delights. We don't anyone, want anyone to steal away the things that bring us pleasure and joy and satisfaction. And the Psalm 1 man says, your word, your word to me, it is my delight. I want it because it moves my heart. It transforms me. It changes my emotions. I begin in the flesh, but I can't help but end in the spirit because your spirit is pouring forth from your word into my soul like rivers of life. I only want you. I read of heaven and the new Jerusalem. I read of that blessed and glorious city where the Father wipes away the tears from our eyes. There's no more sorrow, no more sighing, no more pain. When I read that, my heart begins to burn. I just say, God, I want that. I wanna go there. I wanna be there with you. Your word is my delight. Your word is my stability. Those that delight in the word of God, they enjoy it. The Bible is not boring. It's that our spirits have become so carnal and toxic from the volume being turned up on the cultural radio that we can't find delight in that which is holy and transcendent. How do we do it? We've got to turn off one river and open up the next. We've got to turn off one station and turn on another one. We can't just say no to sin. We've got to say yes to God. We've got to get that river flowing in our families. We've got to get our children hearing the word of God. They need to hear mom and dad praying the word of God, singing the word of God, delighting in the word of God. Christ calls us to abide in his word. In John 8, verse 31, he says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Abide in it. To abide means to live there and never leave. The word of God isn't just for Sunday mornings and Wednesday night Bible studies. The word of God is our refuge. It is our source. It is our home. It is our center. It is to fill our mind and bang around in there replaying over and over and over again. We shouldn't escape from it. We shouldn't run from it. We should allow it to transform us 
to overcome our negative emotions, to overcome our carnality, to overcome our sinful desires. Let the word of God dwell in us with all richness. He says, abide in my word. The key to a free and vibrant spirit is allowing the word of God to abide in us. It's how Paul and Silas in the book of Acts are in prison, and yet even though they're shackled against a wall, they're singing praises and rejoicing. Who are these guys? What kind of weirdos sing from prison? What kind of weirdos sing when they're under oppression? I tell you, it is those that the Spirit of God has planted a root of the Word of God because our life is temporary. Our circumstances are temporary. You're gonna live for a billion years with this guy. In his law or his word, he meditates day and night. To meditate upon something means that you allow it to replay in your mind over and over and over again. How many of you have had a difficult circumstance or issue in your life? What happens after that event, that moment? It could be glorious, it could be painful. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not. What happens? It begins to replay in your mind over and over and over again. That's called meditation. It's replaying in your mind. And every time you're reliving that type of event, you're reliving the joy of it. You're reliving the sorrow of it. You're remembering when your children were born. Are you remembering some painful thing from your past? To meditate means to muse, to ponder, to repeat. It means to go over it in your mind, in your spirit again and again and again. And the Holy Spirit says, I want my words, my words of life to go again and again and again through your mind and through your heart. I want that to be the thing that's, that's gripping you, the thing that you're replaying, the thing that you're delighting in, the thing that you're enjoying. Get a phrase from the scripture, get a verse, get a passage, fill your mind with the word so that those things are the things that replay. Let them dwell in you. He says, I want you to meditate on it, but I want you to do it like this. I want you to do it day and night. I want you to do it continuously. I don't want you to take a, a, a vacation from the word of God. I don't want you to take a vacation from drawing on the things of the spirit. He says, I wanna live with you, but you've gotta choose to live with me. You've gotta do your part. You've gotta actually stop thoughts of accusation, condemnation, lust, anger, fear. You actually have to stop them. No one can stop them for you. You actually have to go, hey, you know what? I'm not gonna let my mind go this way. I'm going to choose the word of God. Your word will be my delight. Joshua, Israel's military general after the time of Moses, found success through this exact thing. Meditate on the word day and night, continuously, Joshua. Now imagine being Joshua, 
You've just become the chief commander and general of an entire nation. You've got a lot of weight on your shoulders. You've got over a million people that just spent 40 years in the wilderness. They're not in a happy state. Like things aren't going good. You're about to cross over the Jordan and you're about to enter into one of the most brutal times of bloodshed. You've got a whole bunch of prophetic promises behind you. I mean, talk about pressure. You're Joshua, you're a young leader. Angel of the Lord comes. You're hoping for some like, give me, give me the ringer, like give me the, the, the tool, the thing that's gonna really make me successful. Like if I was Joshua, I'd be like just, Every time I speak, let fire just go everywhere. We could win this battle in like three days, maybe less. Like give me all the power that Moses had, you know? Like the plagues, like we roll in to the promised land with all the plagues, all the power, all the anointing. I don't know, <clears throat> send me an angel that just tells me what to do all the time. Send me like the Alexander the Great, you know, uh, a military general strategy guide. We gotta win this thing. Lord says, no, no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna touch your mind with great strategies. I'm not gonna touch your hands with unbelievable supernatural power. I want you to open your heart to me. I want you to open your heart to my word. I want you to feast upon it. I want it to be your meditation day and night, Joshua. If you say my words, my plans and purposes will come to pass for your life. It was the key to his success. It was the key to the victory of one of the greatest military generals, not in just Israel's history, but of all of history, Joshua. The key to his success was speaking the word of God over and over and over in his mind and in his heart. Isn't that remarkable? What's also remarkable is that the internal voice that you and I have, the counsel that we receive from ourselves. I'm not talking about, you know, voices in our head. I'm talking about this, the fact that your voice in your life is the most powerful voice. It's the most influential one. You're, the, you're your best speaker. You're your best preacher. You're your best leader. You're your best counselor because most of the time, some high percentage, you always listen to you. Some of you are kind of elbowing the spouse next to you, see? Told you you always listen to you. Now, just think about that for a minute. Now, think about this. The vast majority of your life is spent in your thoughts, in your emotions, and in those internal processes. The vast majority. I don't know what the percentage is, but I'll make one up that's super scientific sounding because that's what we preachers do. It's probably 99% of your life. That feels good. 99% of your life is spent in the internal processes of your heart and mind. Now think about this. What is the internal conversation that you're having? What is it? What's going on in there? What is it? We gotta, we gotta get after that thing. We gotta harness it. We gotta harness it to the word of God. I don't want that thing lying in my mind all the time to myself. 
We've got to get that thing plumb line to truth. James 3 says to put the bit and the mouth of the horse like a bridle. You've got to steer that thing. You've got to direct your life, that internal voice, into the words of God so that when the counsel comes, right, when, when the chips are down, when, the, when life is hard, when you're set back in finances and relationships, that voice isn't going to lie to you. You need to hear the words of Yahweh, the words of the Son, the words of spirit that give life to you that aren't gonna derail you for the next five minutes or the next 50 years. Get that word into your mind, into your heart. Let it flow through you. Feel the power of it, the delight, the joy of it. These are the words of God, not just written words on a page. The word made flesh imparted to us by the spirit. There's supernatural power in it. The famous preacher, evangelist Smith Wigglesworth used to say, I don't read the word of God, it reads me. There's a supernatural power, there's a, there's a yoking. Hebrews 4 says that the word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword, cutting asunder, dividing flesh from spirit. When we read the word of God, there's a transference, there's a transformation, there's an unlocking. And we've gotta get in that thing way more, I think. More of the word of God will result in more delight in our life. More spiritual pleasures will be unlocked as we give ourselves more to the word of God. But almost no one believes that. Most believe that it is a giant waste of time. Oh, that's just religion. Oh, you don't need to do that. You imagine that you will be more refreshed if you just sit back and recreate for 10 hours than if you were to feast on the word of God for 10 hours. Most people believe that. He says, but what is rest? What is actually going to refresh you? We know the Christian answer. It's Jesus and the Bible and prayer. And yet our lives reflect a very different belief system. We believe that, that rest and satisfaction and delight, I'm not saying we don't recreate at all. I'm saying that we gotta turn up the volume on the word of God and get his words meditating and, and musing in our minds and in our hearts. Go to page two. Three warnings that quench delight. Remember, because that's the central thing that God is after for his people. He wants you to delight in him. Just think about that. He, yeah, he, he wants you to obey him. He wants you to serve him, but he really wants you to delight in him, to enjoy the relationship. Have you ever been in a relationship where there's no joy and no delight and it's just practical like you can have that type of relationship with like the bellhop at a hotel. Like they just serve you. They drop off food at your door. We don't want that with God. We want the deep fellowship that was procured, that was apprehended for us at Calvary through the blood of Jesus. I want all of God that I can have. I want the richness of the gospel. I want the full experience. I want to be one with the Father and the Son as they are one. I don't want to come up short. I'm, I'm obsessed with this. I'm reaching for this. 
I want the delight, the pleasures of God. And I've touched them a little bit here and there, but I want more. I want more that you open the word, you begin to sing it just gently to the Lord and, and the spirit begins to touch your heart. It begins to unlock it. And, and all those pressures, all those 10,000 little weeds that are growing up in the garden of our life, they just kind of take back seat for a minute. And you just begin to, God, you really enjoy me. You really delight in me. Your heart is really toward me. Like when I turn to you. It really touches your heart. It really moves you. I love that. I want more of you, Holy Spirit. Well, in the first verse, the psalmist gives us three warnings that, that quench that delight. Because what happens is, is that these things, they get in the narrative of our mind and they hijack it. They get us out of truth. The pleasures of the word the joy of God. Number one, we're warned to not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. We don't want to get our counsel from ungodliness. The counsel is that which forms the value system of our life. Counsel changes the way that we look outwardly. It changes the way that we look inwardly. And when the ungodliness gets in there, we become consumed with self, with greed, with lust. He says, don't go get your counsel from the ungodly. Go get it from me. It's right here. It's all on these pages. Go get your counsel from the richness of, I'm the holy transcendent God, the ancient of days. I've been around a long time. I know how to counsel you, how to speak into your life. By the way, I'm a huge proponent of human counseling, especially the godly kind. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You want your sense of purpose and your value to be rooted in God's value system because he's the judge of your life. You're gonna be aware of him for billions and billions of years. He has all power and all authority. And if he wants this, then go get this. If he says, look out for that, look out for that. I mean, we've got to really trust God that his ways and his commands are really the best way. We've got to trust that Yahweh, when he talks about the, the, the most intimate issues of our life, of, of how we spend money, of how we do sexuality, of how we do power, we've got to trust that Yahweh knows what he's talking about with those. And we've got to yield to that. We've got to come under that. We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to let the word like come and, and cut down these areas that are in disagreement with God's way and God's purpose. Because he knows what's going on. All the people that say that the Bible is wrong and that God doesn't know what he's talking about and he's cruel and all that, they're going to be dead in 80 years. Then what? God will endure forever. His word will endure forever. Paragraph C, don't stand in the path of sinners. The path of sinners is that course of life traversed by the ungodly. It leads to destruction. It leads to dismay. It leads to all manner of disappointment. 
Paul describes it like this in Ephesians 2. He says, you once walked according to the course of this world. That's the path of sinners. The way that you did money, sex, and power was in agreement with the course of this world. Well, where did that come from? It came from the prince of the power of the air, the deceiver, the evil one, the devil. The whole world, John tells us, lies under the sway of the wicked one. And the wicked one is trying to get you and me and everybody else to get a value system that's rooted in self, that's rooted in pleasure, that's rooted in illicit disobedience to God so that we do money, sex, power the world's way. And the Lord goes, I wanna show you a whole nother way. I'm gonna come down from my father. I'm gonna Bear the flesh of humanity, and I'm gonna show you how to do money, sexuality, and power. I'm not gonna do power in the way that the world does. The Gentiles lord it over them. It's a top-down system. I'm gonna come down. I'm gonna come to the poor. I'm gonna get my disciples from a bunch of poor Galileans. I'm gonna wash their feet and then suffer in their stead. That's how Christ does power. And we've got to let that mind, the mind of Christ, be our mind and infect us and infect the way that we do our businesses and our families and our relationships and our communities. we got to come low. we got to be like him. Don't stand in the path of sinners because if you're on the path of sinners, it likely means that you're in agreement with them because the course is all rushing in one direction. And those that are on the path are typically agreeing with or trying to placate or being friends with. The scripture warns us very clearly, don't be friends with the world. If you're friends with the world, you're at enmity with God. You can't love God and love the world. You've gotta love God. You've gotta hate the ways of the world. You've gotta contend for breakthrough. You've gotta preach the gospel. You've gotta be salt. You've gotta shine light into the darkness. That's what we're called to. Paragraph D, don't sit in the seat of the scornful. The seat is often the judgment seat. It's the place of power. It's where, it's where evaluations are pronounced. It's where judgments are pronounced. It's where people voice their opinions and weigh in on various matters. And we have before us on our phones and on our computers, we're all been given the seat to pronounce and say what we deem as worthy and important and valuable. And everyone is doing it. And he says this, he says, don't sit in the seat of the scornful. See, the scornful man is those that are jaded by cynicism who speak with arrogant words. He says, don't do that. When you're given the seat, when you're given the place, when you're given the voice to speak something, don't do it out of a place of cynicism. Don't do it out of a place of bitterness. Don't do it out of a place of backbiting. But from that seat, declare the mercy of God. Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 5 to pray for those that are our enemies, to pray for them to pray for their good, to pray for their salvation, to pray for their prosperity, to actually pray for them, to bless those who persecute us. And we've got to get out of the seat of the scoffer, the cynic, 
the it's all going down the toilet. It's all going down the drain. We've got to get into the seat of heaven. We've got to be in our heavenly places, seated at the right hand, Ephesians 2, right? You've been seated in heavenly places with God. We've got to get God's mind, God's perspective, begin to declare that to the people in our lives. We've got to pray like we're Christians. We've got to speak like we're actually followers of Jesus. We gotta declare what is true and we gotta do it in a right tone of, of gentleness and humility as servants. We're here to serve the world into their understanding of God. Bring it to an end here. Verse three, the one who meditates on the word of God and delights and avoids these three things, there will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. The word that stands out to me from that is the word planted. We live in a very transient culture. Even the ungodly, they're walking, they're standing, they're sitting, then they rise, then they walk, then they stand, then they sit. The Lord says, no, 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 don't do that. Go be planted. Plant your life in the value system of my word. Plant your families on a gospel reality. Plant your lives on the anchor of the soul. Plant. Don't just uproot. Don't just live flippantly. Don't just live transient. Plant. Buy in. You know, a tree, if you plant a tree, it's like 30 years before that thing's even like big and looks like a tree, you know? It looks like a bush for like 30 years. It's so discouraging. We're walking around our yard the other day and my wife was like, let's plant some trees. I'm like, man, in like 30 years, these will be cool. <laughs> it takes time. The process is slow. The journey is hard. That's why the New Testament calls us to perseverance so much. And it calls us to endurance so much. We're trying to call up, you know, Lowe's and be like, bring me the 25-year-old tree and plant it in my front yard. I'm gonna skip all the process of putting down roots, of giving my life to the Lord, of walking in, those, in the Sermon on the Mount, of filling my mind with the Word. I want the fast pace thing. The Lord, there is no fast pace. There just isn't. It's just the long haul, but you won't hear that in the prevailing culture because it's like, do this, five steps to this and get a million followers in two days. And it's just like, what? Lord goes, no, be planted. Plant in me, go down deep. Let your life be hidden under the surface of what even people can see. Have a root system where you're pulling on the things of my spirit. Why do we wanna do that? We'll end with this. Brent, I'll have you come up with the worship team. Why do we want to do that? Because the ungodly, it says in verse five, will not stand in the day of judgment. Their tree is not planted in the right place. They don't have a root system in God. They will not stand in the day of judgment. They will perish because they didn't allow Christ to pay for their sins. They will pay for their sins. That's why we don't want to be sinners. That's why we don't want to be ungodly. We want to allow Jesus to pay for our sins, to pay the debt of our sins and to bear the wrath of God because I don't want to bear it. I don't want to. I don't think you do either. Verse six, this is what happens. The Lord will know the way of the righteous. I love that. 
The Lord will know your way. He'll know the meditation of your heart. He'll know the way that you fought against offense and bitterness in that season. He'll know the way in which you blessed in your own heart and didn't curse when someone mistreated you or betrayed you. He'll know the way in which you went out of your way to serve when nobody else saw, when no one else cared. Because why? Because you're a tree that has a root system that's underneath the ground. You're not about the praise of men. You're about the praise of God. He knows the way of the righteous. Amen. Let's stand. That was sweet. Father, we thank you for this spiritual family. Lord, every individual, every person joining us on the web stream, We thank you for their life and their calling in you. We thank you, God, that you will raise up Psalm 1 people in a Psalm 2 hour. You'll raise them up from every congregation, from every denomination. You'll raise them up from every tribe and tongue and people. You'll raise them up in America. You'll raise them up in Canada and Great Britain. You're going to raise up people that are planted in the word of God, whose minds are filled with your word. Words of life come out of them. They're a spring of life. They're a resource of life. We ask that you would anoint your people. We ask that you would give us an insatiable hunger for the word of God, that you would make us hungry for it that you would make us hungry for it. As we're praying this, if you're agreeing with this, that you wanna be hungry for the word of God, guess what? That means that those other things that are stealing away your hunger and your joy, they're not gonna be as satisfying. And that's an indication to you that the Holy Spirit is answering your prayer and that he's redirecting your heart into that which brings life and stability and joy and pleasure in God. Make us hungry, Lord. Make us hungry for the things of God. Make us the most hungry people on the earth. That people would come to Kansas City and say, those people are hungry for the word of God. Those people are hungry for spiritual pleasures. You can't tempt them with money. You can't tempt them with a little bit better this or a little bit better that. They want the things of God and no money can buy that. Make it true of our families. Make it true of our children, a vision to be a Psalm 1 man, a Psalm 1 woman in this very hour. Come Holy Spirit. I'm going to go into a time of worship here. There are several that have to slip out and go down to the event, down on 27th and Prospect. I want to invite you, if you'd like to respond to the Lord, I'd like you to come up. Dad's got something here in a minute. If you're sick in your body and you need a fresh touch, if your spirit is dull to the word of God and it feels dry and barren, you're going, Lord, if you help me, if you breathe that fresh wind, Lord, get that wind in my sails, get that jump start. I want to be hungry for you. I want to be hungry for your word. Yeah, I just feel like this word is really a call to the entire church to repentance in how we're spending our time. Honestly, when Psalm 1 describes two people, two kinds of people, the one who's blessed and the ungodly, the one who's blessed is the one who meditates day and night in the Word. 
And the ungodly is the one who doesn't meditate day and night in the Word. It's that clear in Psalm 1 who the ungodly are. They're the ones who do not meditate. I would urge you to not see this as a cool little theme for some to pick up. This is a call for the church right now to turn and instead of becoming chaff that gets blown away at the end of the day, to become trees planted by the stream of living water. The only difference between those two results is meditation day and night in the Word. This is not for just people in a prayer room. Joshua was not in a prayer room up until that time. He stayed in the tent all the time. But at that point where God says to him, meditate day and night, he's going to lead a nation. So this isn't just for the ones hidden away in a prayer room. This is an invitation to our church, to the churches of the nations who will all begin to rage and become that chaff lest they meditate day and night and find their actual delight in the Lord and in his law. So I want to invite you turn from how you're spending your time, which is varied, and say, I'm going to set myself on a trajectory of meditating day and night. Not just once in a while, not just when I, when I, you know, have free time. I'm inviting you. If you're going, I want to set myself on that trajectory. And the truth is, I've relegated this to other people and I've thought this was a good theme for them, but not necessarily for me. I want to invite you to come forward. If you're going, you know what? I need to do this. I need to delight myself in the word of the Lord and I need to figure out how to be able to even do that day and night. Because otherwise you are on the trajectory, according to Psalm 1, of being chaff that gets blown away at the end of the day. This is not optional. It's, there's only two kinds of people in Psalm 1. Those who meditate day and night and those who don't. So I want to invite you right now, if you're going, I just come up to the front. Let's stand as a people and go, we, we want to be that people, Lord. We want to delight in you. If that's you and you're going, I want to shift, spend my time, my energy, my focus, delighting in God, regardless of what I'm doing in my job, wherever I am. I want to delight in the law of the Lord. And I want it going over and over in, in me, regardless of where I am. If that's you and you're going, I need to bump up the amount of time and focus that I'm doing doing this. Again, not in just a prayer room, day and night. This is a promise to you that you can become like this tree. I want you to come forward if that's you and you're going, I want to I wanna shift and start doing this. Just as you're praying, just anyone that's joining us on the web stream as well, just wherever you're at, if you're tracking with this, just put out your hands before the Lord. I know family's got to get kids and all that kind of stuff. Just, just posture your heart before the Lord just for a moment here. This is a sweet time. The presence of the Lord is here. There's a tenderness. There's a, there's a sweetness, a real invitation from the Lord that I sense. Yeah, I just want to urge you. There's a lot of you that are standing out there. You're not telling the truth. You're not doing this. And not, you're not setting your heart. You're not buying into this. I want to challenge you if you're standing out there to go, oh, no, I, I already do that, or that's good for them to step up here. I'm not talking about getting saved. 
I'm talking about ending up at the end of your day a tree planted by the streams of living water. There's only one way for that to happen, and that's you meditate day and night in the Word. So I want to invite you, I want to challenge you if you're standing out there and going, oh, that's good for them, not for me, but you're in a perilous place. Father, I ask you right now for the people standing here in the front that a grace abounding on them, a grace to delight in your word would abound on them. That they would shift and move towards you and find that your word is actually food. That your word is actually what will change the spirit man to grow and to sing and to pray your word regardless of their assignments in life. Regardless, Lord, put your spirit of delight on those who say yes and do yes. Who actually seek to meditate day and night. From here on out, they figure out, they say, I'll find a way to keep your word constantly going in me. God, grant a grace to this fellowship. Grant a grace to the church and the nations to turn from wickedness, to turn from going their own way, making their own plan, fulfilling their own prophecies, to turn to the prophetic word of the law of the Lord that is food, that is fruit, that is delightful, that is sweet, that is honey. Lord, we say we want to do yes. I want to ask for all those who are, who are trained to minister to come up and just begin to pray for these people for a greater grace on their life that we would turn as a people and shift from cut and paste theologies on the internet to the food of your word, to transformation. In this hour, Lord, we want to be a transformed people. We want to go past inspired want to go beyond that to transformation. We want to be a people who carry the glory to be fruitful, to be prosperous in all our ways. Oh God, help us in this hour. Help us to clear away everything that is hindering our patterns and our lifestyles. Father, I ask for a grace on these standing right now. A grace to see the smile on your face because these are ones who want to delight in your word. Let them see the smile on your face. Those of you who can minister, come on up to the front and just pair up with another person. Minister two-on-one to the people here. Just release a grace onto them to focus on you, to find their delight in you. Amen. I don't want to walk in the counsel of the wicked. I don't want to stand in the way of sinners. sit in the seat of scoffers, but I want to delight in your love, I want to 
Tree.